Good afternoon, welcome to my Parsha share. It's wonderful to be able to share with you Divrei Torah. We're going to be looking at my grandfather's Sefer, Mikdash HaLevi, and we're looking at Parsha's Baloischa, which is the third Parsha in Sefer Bamidbar, and it begins, Daber Laharin Vamarta Ilov. Speak to Aaron, Moshe Rabbeinu is told by Hashem, speak to your brother Aaron, Vamarte love, say to him as follows. Given instructions, what you should do. Aaron, you're the Kohen, you're the high priest. You're the person who is responsible for ensuring that the menorah, the candelabra, that uh, is lit inside the sanctuary, that is lit every day. And he's given instructions, or Moshe Rabbeinu is told to give him instructions as to how he should uh, light and prepare the menorah for lighting uh, on each day that it gets lit. Perish Rashi, um, Rashi explains, Rashi uh, wants to understand what it is that this particular uh, mitzvah is mentioned. What is the reason that this mitzvah is mentioned at this stage of the game? What came immediately before? the end of Parshas Nasser, we have an extended chapter that deals with the gifts of the Nasim of the princes of each tribe, the leaders of each tribe. They gave um, a, a set collection of gifts to the Mishkan, to the uh, inauguration of the Mishkan, uh, Karbanot and various other bits and pieces. Each of them gave, in fact, the exact same thing. But why is it that this particular uh, piece in the Torah that talks about the menorah is uh, mentioned immediately after the Parsha of the Nasim. That's the question that Rashi asks. And by the way, it's a question that gets mentioned regularly in uh, Sefer Bamidbar because you have all these seemingly unrelated narratives and pieces in Sefer Bamidbar that are in close proximity to each other. And the Mepharshim want to understand what is it that, what is the reason that lies behind this particular segment of Bamidbar coming so close or next to the one that follows immediately afterwards or the one that comes immediately before. That's what Rashi asks, to which he answers, Lefi. Because Aaron, he's a brother of Moshe Rabbeinu, and more distinctly, he is the leader of the tribe of Levi. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader of Klal Yisrael. He's the leader of the nation. He doesn't represent any particular tribe, even though he's from the tribe of Levi. He's not the leader of the tribe of Levi. Who is the leader of the tribe of Levi? It is Aaron. So he saw that all the Nasiim brought their gifts for the Mishkan. Cholsha Ozdate became extremely upset and depressed. He was terribly put out by the fact that the Nasiim were giving their gifts. Why? Because he and his tribe were not included in this incredible opportunity of the Nasim, the princes of each tribe, the leaders of each tribe, giving a gift to the Mishkan. And he felt very much uh, um, excluded. He felt that he'd been somehow left aside, marginalized by what had gone on. And he was very upset. 
So God said to him as follows. So this is the process of God is saying through his brother Moshe, don't worry Aaron, don't be upset. What you're going to do is far greater than anything that they have done. Why? Because your job is to light and to ensure that the wicks of the menorah are prepared for lighting on a daily basis. They've had this one-off opportunity to give gifts, to give the Matnas Nasim, but you have a daily opportunity to do something which is in my honor and which is so important for the Jewish people. You light the menorah. And this, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is equal, if not more important, than anything that the Nasim have done. So, as a consolation prize almost, Aaron is being told that the menorah is, is to be able to compare, somehow correlates to the Matnas Nasim. Says the Mikdash HaLevi, Lehovin. We really need to understand this. It's, it's actually quite a puzzling Rashi. And essentially, uh, it's a Rashi that makes no sense unless it's explained. And in previous years, I've given Shi'urim on this Rashi. And there's different Pshatim. The Ramban has a very distinct Pshat, a very interesting Pshat uh, in, this, in this Medrash. But we're going to leave that now. And perhaps you can log on to my website and you can listen to that share separately. But... The Mikdash Halevi says, Why is it, asks the Mikdash Halevi, that Aaron Akoyen, Aaron the high priest, waited until all the Karbonais of the Nasim had already been given before he expressed his disappointment at having been excluded? Instead, you know what? Why wait until the end to decide that you've been excluded? All you need to do is turn up the base of at the door, the front door, on whatever day it is, knock on the front door. I mean, after all, you're an insider. Just come with your carbonos, your, carbonos, your offerings, your gifts, and just give them. Don't say, I've been excluded. It's a good question generally in life. Don't talk about all the opportunities that you've missed. You've missed them because you didn't take them. You haven't missed them because they weren't there. Here is a perfect example. Aaron Akoyen had the opportunity of bringing the gifts. He chose not to bring them. And afterwards, he's complaining. He's upset that he didn't have that opportunity. You had every opportunity on every day that they brought a gift. You could have brought a gift. Kafisha Asu Kala Nasim, as all the Nasim did. The fact is, he wouldn't have been considered excluded had he brought a gift. You decided not to bring a gift and now you're upset that your gift wasn't taken. That doesn't make much sense. That's the question of the Mikdash Alevi to which he responds as follows. He has another question. We need to explain, says the Mikdash Alevi. What exactly is the meaning of the answer that God gave him? What is it that, that God is telling Aaron HaKoyen by saying that that which he does in tinkering about with the menorah and lighting it every day is much greater than what the Nisim did? Come on, one isn't comparable with the other. And also it's not as if 
Aaron HaKoyim wasn't aware of his duties and obligations with regard to the menorah. He knew about them very well. They had been explained to him before. So what exactly was Hashem saying to him? You know that thing I gave you a few months ago? Well, you should know that that is something which is in consolation, in compensation for the fact that you are not bringing the gifts of the princes on this particular occasion. What are you talking about? It's not something new. It's not something he's giving him now. He's had it in the past. So why would Aaron Cohen be in any way um, consoled by this piece of information? From the day that the Mizbeach had been consecrated, before the Nasim began bringing their offerings, he'd already began lighting the menorah. So Aaron Cohen, listening to this, as it were, consolation gift that God is giving you, would say, that's not a gift. You can't give me a gift you've already given me. The fact is, I didn't bring Matnas Nasim. And you, I was excluded, I was marginalized, and that's not fair. <coughs> the Nir el says the Mikdash Halevi, we can explain it as follows. P. Divrei has Svarno, and he quotes the Svarno, um, who says as follows. Siper korban kol echo mehem levada. As you know, at the end of Parshat Nose, it's not, even though everybody gave the same gift, it's not repeated, it's not said once, it's repeated 12 times. Each of the Nasim came with the same gift, an exact same gift is mentioned, is detailed and using exactly the same um, words as the previous one, as, as the next one. It's repeated 12 times. So why, says the Sfarna, was each one repeated? Because each one of them had separate intent. You can get the same gift. But one person who gives you a gift has one thing in mind. Another person who gives you a gift has another thing in mind. So too, says the Sforno, with the uh, Nasim. Each one gave the same gift. It's absolutely true that the actual objects that they gave were exact same as the ones that were given by the other tribes. But their intent, what they, the reason they gave it was totally different. Because each Shevet, each tribe, had different sins that needed to be accounted for and that needed to be atoned for. And the, the thought process that went into the giving of the gift was not the same. Now, of course, that's not mentioned because the Torah doesn't talk about thoughts. It doesn't talk about intent. It just talks about the objects that were given. That's the nature of the narrative at the end of Parashat Nosei. But you should know, says the Svarna, just because it doesn't say it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Each one may have appeared the same, but they were very different because of what went into them. Says the Mikdash Shalevi, the Zebach, continuing to quote the Svarno, the Zebach al Echol mi Prote Karbon el Ritzoin lahem lifne Hashem. Each one of them had their, you know, brought the Karbon. This is the reason they brought it. The Samach, the Nitzavah lehem, the Ad Shifta in the stood next to them. And whatever he did, that he did with the Karbon, whatever the actions they took at the moment that the gift was given, was individual, was unique to that particular Shevet via the Nasi that gave it. That's the fact. In the same way as when the Korban Tzibur is given, it's even though it's essentially the same thing, it's different. Each time it's given, it's different. And that's what the Sfarnas says, that the Korbanas, the, the Matonas of the Nasim were different on each occasion. Kloimar, says the Mikdash Alevi. Has Mavar, the Sfarna is, is explaining. Each carbon, each set of carbonus, I should say, that the Nasim brought is explained 
and is delivered uniquely, is delivered individually, is delivered separately from every other. Because no two korbonos were exactly the same. Each nasi, each prince, each leader of their tribe knew very specifically and in intimate detail the uh, the aspects of their tribe's behavior that required repair. They knew what was wrong in their tribe. They knew what a carbon needed to be brought for. And by the way, they weren't aware of what the other tribes may have done wrong, but they were aware within their own tribe what it is. Everybody has a personal story. The personal story of each tribe was somehow represented in the Matnus Nasim that were brought by each Nasi. He was able to insert into his gift that, you know, you can give the same gift, but you write a different birthday card. It, the fact is that each Nasi understood what it was that this gift needed to achieve, and they achieved it when they gave it to somehow repair the whatever it was that's missing in the tribe that they represented. From this we can say, Aaron imagined that each one of the of the Nasim would bring um, together the carbonos, the gifts, the offerings uh, to the Chanukah Samizbech. And he thought to himself, and for that reason, I don't need to become involved because they're going to bring it all together. Each one of them is going to come on the same day with their carbon. They're going to come collectively and give their their gift. Because after all, he's involved in the in the duties and obligations that were that fell upon him, but he was very different than the others, and he recognized they have their collective uh, needs, and that they're going to bring all the korbanos, the gifts, together, and that's going to be fine. But he he noticed something that was quite different. <speaking in Hebrew> each day went past, and each day Anasi gave a, a different gift. And suddenly he realized, as each day went past, that each Nasi is getting their own opportunity to represent their Shevet in terms of bringing the Korbanos, to bringing the offerings that were that were being the gifts of their tribe. The Korbanos of Nimnim Bifne Atzmam, and each one of them is being counted on its own. It's not being brought together with the others. It's not collectively being brought. He understood what this represented. He was no fool, Aaron. He recognized that each of the Nasim was being given the opportunity of bringing a separate gift and that this separate gift was representative of a representation of the needs of each individual Shevet. And he wasn't being given that opportunity. They realized that each one of those gifts is achieving a great purpose. And he, and he wasn't being given that opportunity. Now suddenly became upset. After he realized that it's all gone through, he realized that he had missed out and that that which he could have brought and which uh, he could have represented his Shevet had not happened. And as the representative of the Shevet Levi, he and his Shevet had missed out. Ulam Khan Now we can understand the answer that God gave him. 
It's not necessary for him to be upset, says God. Do you know why? Because his shevet, his tribe, didn't require the same level of cleansing, of atonement that the others required. And the reason they didn't was because they had a special opportunity. They had the wonderful opportunity, the ability, they had the duty of lighting the menorah that was lit every day in the sanctuary. And that is representative of who they are. Do you know who the Shevet Levi are? They represent the rabbinic world, as it were. They are the teachers. By the way, rabbi means teacher, my teacher. They were the rabbanim. They were the teachers of their generation. Ner Mitzvot v'toyra oyer, they're the ones who taught the generation the Torah, and, in, and that was truly represented by the menorah. They were the ambassadors of performance of mitzvahs and of the conduct of the Torah in this world and for the Jewish people. Um, and therefore they, they, they were not required quite in the same way as the other Shvatim to make up for, the, for that which was missing in, uh, in the lives that they led because they did something so special in terms of their representation of the Torah in this world. Conci- continues uh, the Mikdash HaLevi talking about how Aaron HaKohen responded to this instruction or the set of instructions with regard to lighting or preparing the menorah to be lit and then lighting it. Aaron did as he was instructed opposite the menorah. He lifted, that's the word, what the word He'elon means. He lifted up the light. That means he, he put together the wicks. Exactly as Moshe had instru- uh, been instructed by Hashem. So Aaron HaKohen carried out his duties to the letter says Rashi Vayaskein Aaron. Do you know what it means? Lahagid Shivchay Shal Aaron. So that we this is uh, uh, to inform us about something that is praiseworthy that Aaron Akoyin did. Why Shina. He didn't change any aspect of the instructions that he was given. He carried it out to the letter, identical to what God had instructed Moshe and what Moshe told him. That exactly what. Aaron did. Says the Mikdash Alevi. Yuduya Kushya Tsuma Baposuk, everybody knows the question, the very difficult puzzle that emerges out of this verse, out of this Posuk. Shekain Lechoira, if you look at it at first glance, it makes no sense. Mashevachu Ligaba Aaron Shalai Shina Mitsuyov Shel Hakodish Baruchu. What exactly is the great praise of Aaron Akoyin? that we mention the fact that he observed every single detail of that which God had instructed Moshe Rabbeinu. What would we expect? Of course Aaron HaKohen listened to what Moshe Rabbeinu told him. Why would we expect him to deviate from that which he had been instructed? Are we to imagine that somehow he was going to discard some aspect of the instruction and say, no, I've got a better way of doing it. I want to do it my way. Come on. And in any event, why would we even imagine that he would even think about changing it? And what exactly could you change? You need to prepare the wicks and you delight it. So what is the big praise 
about Aaron HaKoyen not changing any aspect of the lighting, the pre- preparation of the lights, and then the lighting of the menorah. How difficult it is, is it, to prepare the lights in the way that he'd been instructed? I mean, this is the way you prepare wicks. You prepare them, you do it, and then you light them. That we would imagine that Aaron would change it. What exactly was going through our minds or through Rashi's mind when he suggested, because that's the unwritten aspect of Rashi, that somehow Aaron Akoin could have changed what he'd been told, but he didn't. And how marvelous he is for not having changed anything that he'd been told to do. Come on, what exactly would he have changed? He would have prepared the wicks in some different way. There's only one way to prepare wicks. And to praise him in that he had not changed doesn't make any sense. That's the question the Mikdash Alevi asks, and he answers as follows, let's suggest as follows. It's well known. On the same day that Aaron HaKoyim was instructed to you need to light the menorah, you need to prepare the menorah, you need to light the menorah. On that very same day, on the eighth day of the Miluim, that was the day that his two sons died. We know, we know very sadly that they came with an Eshzara into the sanctuary and they were struck down and they died at that moment because somehow what they did was not something that Hashem wanted, and there's many explanations in the Gemara and the, and the Torah talks about it. It was that very same day that he'd lost two precious children, his sons. Terrible. Even we could imagine in such a situation, in a situation of devastation, he's so upset at the passing of his two sons. I mean, come on. He just had the worst news that any father can get, that their children have died. And imagine in that moment, if somehow he would have deviated or changed or forgotten some aspect of the instruction that he received with regard to the, uh, to the uh, lighting of the menorah. Whatever, even if you say he never changed any aspect of it. I mean, come on, he can't invest the same energy, the same vibe, the same simcha, the same joy in the performance of this mitzvah, in the knowledge. He, he knows it, he's been informed that his children have died. How would we expect him to be able to do it in exactly the same way as on a day when he hadn't been informed that his children had died? It's perfectly normal, normal. it's human nature to be devastated, to be deflated at that moment. So you do it in every aspect, in some, you know, in the performance aspect of it. You do it properly, Aaron HaKoyin. But we wouldn't expect you, in terms of your emotional investment, to be able to do it in quite the same way. And yet, Ulam Aharon, we're talking about Aaron HaKoyin, the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of the Jewish people while Moshe Rabbeinu was in Midian. This same Aaron, who for 40 years was the high priest of the Jewish people, the foundational figure of Jewish ritual, Aaron HaKoyen, the great Aaron, the high priest, the original founding high priest of the Jewish people. No aspect of the performance of what he had to do changed. No aspect changed. He did it in exactly the same way. 
The tragic events of that day that had occurred and which would devastate any other person and must have devastated him. He was able to withstand at the moment that he needed to and continue with the same simcha that he injected into preparing a light of the menorah every day before and since on that day as well. No detail of the mitzvah, even the smallest detail, was in any way different to the way he performed it on any other day. That was the greatness of Aharon HaKoyen. Didn't change his thoughts his emotional investment, even one little bit. He lit the menorah in the same way. And that's We want to hear about this Aaron, this incredibly powerful personality. He didn't see it coming. And if he wouldn't have behaved in that way, we wouldn't have blamed him. We wouldn't have criticized him. And yet he was able to do it. And the Posuk therefore praises him. And we can certainly understand why he would have been praised in this way. You know that Rav Rhinus, I wrote about him um, some months ago in Hamizrachi magazine. Rav Rhinus was a very interesting man. He was the founding rabbi of Mizrahi, which is the religious Zionist organization that uh, was the most dominant religious, political religious group in the years before the Second World War. After the Second World War, with the creation of the State of Israel, they sat in government for many years. It has since evolved into various different groups among the Datila Umi community of Eretz Yisrael, and there's Mizrahi Olami, which is a different organization, but essentially it began as from Jews, orthodox, practicing orthodox Jews, who supported the concept of a return to the land of Israel and a political project that would see the land of Israel become a country that was controlled, managed, and governed by Jews. They were along with the Zionists, alongside the Zionists. In fact, they were the largest group of paying Zionists in the World Zionist Organization in the 1920s and 1930s because, of course, if you were from Jew and you loved this idea of the Jews taking control of Eretz Yisrael, you were going to be involved and you wanted to be involved in every possible way. And the, the, one of the uh, foundational figures, the most important people in the organization was a man called Rav Reines. He was the, roughly the same age as the Chofetz Chaim, he didn't quite live quite as long as him. He died 25 years or something like that before the Chofetz Chaim. But they, they knew each other very well. The Chofetz Chaim, in fact, fell out with him because he didn't agree with Rav Reines's approach uh, with regard to secular Zionists. He felt that it wasn't possible to align oneself if one was a religious Jew with uh, secular Zionists. And Rav Reines disagreed, and whatever the case may be, that's a historical point that perhaps should be examined on a different occasion. But this is a story that I published in the article. I began my article with this story. It's 
an incredible story. Ravinus had a son who was an incredible Ilui. So Talmud Chochem, he wasn't, he wasn't married, he was about 20 years old, and even at a young age, he was, he was a prodigy, he was an incredible Talmud Chochem. He wrote, I think recently they've been publishing some of the works of this genius. But one Shabbos, after lunch, uh, he, he went to his father's study, and he wanted to reach a safer that he wanted to learn that was on the top shelf. And he climbed up the shelves and grabbed the safer. And before he knew it, the entire bookshelf had collapsed on top of him and killed him. He died. And the family heard the commotion in the study and they came running in. And they saw that uh, he was on the floor and he died. And Rebrinus told the family, please go out. And he closed the door behind him didn't say anything, continued with Shabbos, went to shul, gave a shir, davan mincha, ichal shudas, and immediately after Shabbos he collapsed. Because on Shabbos, you have to have menuchas Shabbos. And even if something tragic happens, you can't allow that to affect you. Rav Reines knew that nothing was going to change by him mourning on Shabbos. In fact, there was nothing he could do because a human corpse is mukta on Shabbos. He couldn't even touch his son at that stage. Once he knew he was dead, that was it. And the Chavah Kaddisha could do nothing. The doctors could do nothing. There was no one who could do anything for the young son that was lying on the floor. And therefore, the only thing that was necessary at that stage was for him to continue keeping Shabbos and observing Shabbos. Loi Shino. He didn't change. No aspect of his behavior from any other Shabbos that you would have recognized was different on the Shabbos when he lost his son. It was an incredible story about an incredible Evet Hashem because that's real. To be an Evet Hashem means you understand the needs of the moment. And at that moment, what was needed was for him to observe Shabbos. Immediately when Shabbos went out, now it was time to mourn. And of course, he mourned and they buried their son and sat Shiva for him. An incredible story that is so similar to the, the uh, parish that we just read in the Mikdash Halevi about Rashi, about Aaron, that he didn't change. Vayas Kain Aaron just did exactly as he had done previously and he would do so many times afterwards, even though on that day he'd received the tragic news of his son's passing. Vahibin Sayaharain, later on in the parsha we have this posseg that we're familiar with that we use when we um, take a Sefer Torah out of the Oran HaKodesh. They brought out the Oran, and you know what happened? The Oran was, was like a protection, but like a defense mechanism. It was a force field, because when they lifted up the Oran and they carried it in the Midbar, there was no such thing as an Oyev, as an enemy, that could do anything to harm the Jewish people. The power of the Oren was that it protected the Jewish people from anything that came in its way that would somehow cause it harm. The Oren was the force field. The Oren created a fort that enabled the Jewish people to function without having to fear any enemy and what they might do to them. Says the Mikdash Alevi, we can learn a fantastic ethical lesson something which is from the Musar world, that emanates from this posuk, 
dvar yoyim b'yoyim, something that affects us and is relevant to us each and every day of our lives. Shekein haloi ha'oyuvim v'asoynim nosu mipnei arnabris. We know that the oyuvim, the haters, the enemies, they were completely vanquished in the face of the orin. What was in that orin? What was the power of the orin? What was it that the orin contained that enabled this incredible capacity, this incredible power? Toiras Hashem veluchis habris. Do you know what was in there? There was a Torah scroll, and there were the luchis, the tablets which Moshe Rabbeinu received from God, both the broken ones and the ones that were the second luchis that he got later on. Do you know what was written in that Torah on those luchis? Do you know what this Oren contained? It contained the mitzvahs that Hashem gave to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. These, this Oren was a physical representation of who we are, the essence of the Jewish people. And in the same way as this Orin was able to vanquish all its enemies because of what it contained, says the Mita Shalevi, we can be certain that anyone who observes, who takes seriously, who makes a part of their life, the mitzvahs of Hashem, Torah observance, making sure that every mitzvah is choshuv, is important to them, that they observe it properly. They can be sure that they too can vanquish their enemies and uh, dispatch with those who rise up against them. The afmi ponov yonusu oivov, the soinov, in front of that person, the enemies and the haters will disappear because how could they possibly challenge somebody who is an observer fully committed to a Torah lifestyle. And said the Mikdash Alevi adds a beautiful, what we call in Yiddish, knech, a little detail, something that we can all buy into and that we really will understand. We're not just talking about physical enemies, people who can rise up against you and be your enemy and destroy you. No. Oyavim. Bosar uh, Vadom. We're not talking about flesh and blood enemies. Gam Hasotan. Haloihu Hayetsahara Nikra Oye Vasoine. Do you know why? Because there's something that we refer to often as Satan, but really it refers to the evil inclination within us. That part of our our human condition that militates against spirituality and the God spirit that we contain. The Gashmias is not external, it's internal. You know, my father-in-law always says, a person can do themselves far more damage than a thousand enemies could ever do. Do you know who your biggest enemy is? You are your biggest enemy. You are your greatest threat. There are people who threaten you externally. It's a wonderful idea. But in fact... Do you know who the Masanecha is? It's you. Sometimes your Yetzirah can distract you from the good that you can really be. And that's the greatest danger that is posed to any person. But when a person studies Torah, 
commits himself to Torah study and to the mitzvahs that it contains, does them properly with a full commitment, totally, not half-heartedly, not as a side thing, but something which is front and center in their lives, in we can be certain that the Yetzirah Oyev, the enemy that we refer to as the enemy within, will also be vanquished, will also disappear, will also fizzle out. Kamoisha Omru Chazal, the Gemara says, it's a Gemara in Kiddushin Daflamad Omad Base. Barasi Yetzirah says, God, I created the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, that part of you and your psyche that distracts you from doing mitzvahs and convinces you not to do them. And I created a Torah. I created the scripture. I created the mitzvahs that it contains as a counterweight to the Yetzirah that you have within you. Anybody who takes on the Torah as the Oroin within, as their personal Oroin, as their personal Ark of the Covenant. You use your Torah as the force field which will repel any Yetzirah ideas that may occur to you. And in that way you will elevate yourself more and more and continuously. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to our share next week. Thank you.